to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Calling us from the great state of Georgia, we have Eric McCants on the phone. Eric is a patrol sergeant with the Burke County Sheriff's Department. Eric, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure to have you here. And also, thank the sheriff and your sheriff's department for letting you use your name, your real name, your position, everything else, because that's not always the case in law enforcement. Yes. Now, it doesn't mean there's something to hide. It just means that public information officers do most of the talking to the media. Eric is going to be talking about his law enforcement career. And also, one of the areas you specialize in is interdiction, drug interdiction, correct? Yes, sir. Before we go into that, give a bird's eye view, start to finish, of your law enforcement career. Uh, I've been policing for about nine years. I worked in many different positions. I started off in Waynesburg Police Department, and I started off in the housing unit, which is a specialized division that works in the housing areas of the city. Then I went on to Payne College, where I was a nighttime sergeant over there, and I patrolled the campus. And then after I left Payne College, I went over to the school board system in Richmond County, and I worked in different schools of the county system. And currently, I work for the Burke County Sheriff's Office, uh, where I started off as a road patrol deputy, moved over to the uh, operations division, uh, got on the SWAT team, and then uh, just recently last year, I got promoted to the rank of sergeant over a night shift. Well, congratulations on promotion, and thank you for your service. By the way, I, I tell people, I retired to the rank of sergeant, and if you ask me, yeah, we have police commissioners, yes, we have police chiefs, yes, we have sheriffs, they, they come and go, some are really good, some not so much, but our departments are run by our sergeants. Those are the ones who make sure that the men and women uh, on the street do the best job possible, and they also do the best to take care of those men and women as well. It's a balancing act. Yes, sir. And it's, uh, it's not an easy task, but it's one of the best jobs I ever had was being a patrol sergeant. Yes, frontline supervisors, you know, make it happen. Yeah, and you know, patrol, for those who don't know, like when you get out of the academy, that's where you do. That's where you, we called it driving a radio car, answering calls for service. You're the first ones on scene for basically everything that, that police get called for, whether it be police-related emergencies or not. And you really learn everything there is from soup to nuts about policing. Yes. And uh, I also worked uh, in narcotics, which I enjoyed. Special units are great. But if you ask me, the real deal in policing is patrol. Yes. One of the things you specialize in is interdiction of, of narcotics. And I think that's a, a topic that really a lot of people don't understand, but I think it stems with the basic misunderstanding and basic concept of people not understanding police and car stops. And uh, one of the things we I hear all the time especially on social media, is the officer stopped me because of the color of my skin. And I tell people, listen, most of the time we can't even tell how many people are in the car, never mind our gender, no matter what race they are or anything else. Has that been your experience? Uh, yes, sir. See, most time, like say, as an additional officer, most time we were just sitting there, side of the road or either highway, uh, looking for people that's going to have a reaction to our presence. We just want our car parked there. We want our car strike. So 
most people are going to have a reaction. They might look at us. They might wave or anything. But we won't have that person that's going to try to avoid us or they're going to try to pacify themselves as they pass by us. And a lot of times, definitely now, a lot of people have tear in the window, so you're not going to really see them. You're going to see what that car does. Are they following too closely to another car? Are they making just erratic lane changes? Are they just trying to, you know, not avoid the officer? Because many times, you know, they'll do that same move. If they see an officer coming up, they'll hurry up and try to get into the first parking lot they can, which most likely is going to be like either a gas station or a convenience store, and walk in and wait till the officer leaves and try to leave again. And we look for those little small clues, and then we find our, you know, reasonable suspicion or probable cause to pull the car over, and then we go from there. I'm glad you brought that up because in my career, it got to the point where I always worked in very high crime areas and people said, well, how many tickets did you write a day? I can tell you, it got to the point where I never wanted to do traffic simply for traffic. If I stopped the cars because I honestly thought they were either murder suspects, robbery suspects, had guns or drugs, or it was a stolen car. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, it really, in that kind of environment, it really wasn't worth the effort for traffic. And people don't get that. They say, "You, what do you get, a toaster oven? You get enough tickets to write this month? And yeah, I, I joke back. Uh, but it got to the point where if the person didn't look like they were committing a crime, I had no interest because regular routine traffic stops generated so much friction and so many complaints, and all of them yeah. were unfounded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know you heard this yeah. one. Do you know who I know or you know who I am or any of that stuff? You hear that a lot of times. And like I tell people, uh, most times like with regular traffic stops, even like when I do them, if I know it's nothing further than just like the traffic infraction, I go ahead and cut them loose. I'll give them warning for what they did, go ahead and cut them loose. Like I say, spending valuable time or 10 minutes trying to write somebody a ticket just for speeding, which, you know, it has this time when you need a traffic car to write speeding tickets or for failure to maintain lane. I could be interviewing somebody else on the side of the road, which I could be getting drugged. I could even get a person that's being human trafficked. So wasting time on something frivolous like that, for me, what I'm trying to do is not, you know, not what I'm sitting out there for. Now, other officers, you know, like traffic officers, that's what they do. They want to stop the speeders. Like I say some areas have a whole bunch of speeders and that, you know, amounts to rakes and other things. But for me, if you're doing interdiction work, if the traffic, traffic infraction is all that you see, then that's not what we want. We'll cut them loose, tell them have a good day, just don't do it again. Yeah, that was really about it. I want to go back to the initial thing, and I see this a lot in social media. The officer stopped mm-hmm. me just because of my race or my sexual identity or whatever it was. And I tell people, you can try this at home. If you're driving, wait till you get to a red light. Just look at the car in front of you. and See if you can determine how many people are in that car. See if you can tell what race they are. See if you can tell what gender they are. You can try it when you're walking down a street and look at the vehicle's that are on the roadway next to you. With window tint, with curvature of the window, with lighting, a lot of things, you really can't tell. I couldn't tell quite often until either I was A, walking up to the car, or what we used to do back in the day was we had a spotlight in the car and we'd flash it into their rear view mirror. Uh, without window tint, it would light up the car and then you get a better idea, but you never could really tell until you got either right beside the vehicle or walked up to it. How do you counteract that? How? Uh, what do you tell your men and women to say when they're they're hit with that on a car stop? Uh, you just don't know that you're stopping a person from their infraction. Like I said, we don't really pay attention to who we're stopping until we meet with them and talk to them. Like I said, we can't just really see it, especially if you're sitting on the side of the road and cars are passing you 70, 80 miles per hour and it's 50 or 30 cars at one time. You're not going to see the person. You're looking at the vehicle and you're seeing what they're doing in that vehicle. 
So if they're either littering, you know, failing to maintain lane, driving too closely, they're doing something in that vehicle that's attracting to you. It's not the person, it's their infraction. Like I said, many times, especially now, you have people driving in the fast lane, and then when they see you, they'll slow down, and that causes all the traffic to back up. Yeah, we're take a short break. So we're talking way. with Eric McCants. Yeah, yeah. He is a patrol sergeant with Burke County, Georgia Sheriff's Department. This is a law enforcement show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's only one official Facebook page for the show. Do a search on Facebook for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. Back to our conversation with Eric McCants. Eric is a patrol sergeant for Burke County, Georgia Sheriff's Department. Thank you for your service, Eric. And uh, one of your specialties is drug interdiction. And when I say interdiction, that, that's narcotics, guns, and, and violence. And also something we didn't have to deal with a whole lot back in the day, human trafficking. Yes. I say uh, interdiction takes on many forms. Uh, and like to tell people, it doesn't only happen on the side of the highway. You have individuals that do it in airports, bus routes, cargo. It, it has many faces to it. It just depends on what you specialize in. Yeah, I want to focus our conversation on traffic, vehicle stops, and, and how interdiction works that way. We talked earlier about the difference between traffic, traffic stops, and traffic stops where you suspect that the person is involved in drugs, stolen car, whatever it might be. It's a totally different mindset and game set as well when you approach even following the vehicle. Am I correct? Yes, sir. One of the things uh, that that people start with all the time, and I, I don't, I can't even correct them anymore because I get so tired of it. They say he didn't have probable cause to stop the car. What do you need to stop a car? Probable cause or reasonable suspicion? Well, you need reasonable suspicion, and then, like I say, once you get up to the car or you see it, then you can establish probable cause. But like I say, many times you might think you have probable cause, but it just might be reasonable suspicion. Like in the state of Georgia, you can't talk on your cell phone, but it's like certain elements on when you only can't talk to your cell phone. Like if you're trying to make an emergency 911 call to let them know that a wreck is happening or you have a medical emergency, then you can talk on your phone, but you won't know what they're doing on the phone until you stop the car and you begin talking to the person. So that's going to be your reasonable suspicion. And then once you confirm that they were just talking to the friend, then that's your probable cause. Gotcha reasonable suspicion for layman's terms is thinking that the person committed crime or might be getting ready to commit a crime and yes, probable sir. cause is, is less than the evidence needed in court to convict someone but more than reasonable suspicion alright so it's kind of vague but all I need and I hate to say this is gut instinct on traffic stops and a minor traffic violation to stop someone you don't have to have for lack of better words a federal case Yes, I say you could build up to that federal case. Yeah, you certainly can. Let's talk about the basics for a, a drug interdiction car stop. Where you work, you would think that a county sheriff's department, it wouldn't be a big deal, but that's not the case, is it? No, sir. Uh, I work in Burke County, Georgia, which is a county that's pretty large, about 835 square miles, but it's kind of a rural area. Like, so we're in between two major cities in Georgia, Augusta, Georgia, and Savannah. And we know, like I say, that drugs, money, all this stuff is being transported between two cities and other areas. So basically on the interdiction stop, I'll sit on the side of the road, like I'm just observing traffic, just watching people pass by. And you know, for the most part, if you have 100 cars pass you at one time, 95% of the people are gonna do about the same thing. They're gonna pass by, they might look at you, they might wave or whatever, or they you know, might even shoot you a bird. 
Do you want the other person that might, you know, jerk the car real hard, slam on brakes, get behind a big wheel, or the ones that when they pass by you, they start making some kind of motion to, you know, pacify themselves because they're nervous. Those are the cars we're going to look at and we're going to get interested in. And then, like I say, you watch them when they're coming towards you, when they're right in front of you, and then once they pass you. And then if you, that car has interest in you, you'll pull out. Then from there, you're looking for different reasons or reasonable suspicion of why you need to stop that car. And then, like I say, you begin the interdiction process of, you know, talking to them, getting them out of the vehicle, speaking to them, and then you'll go from there. And then you just pick up on little small things in which you, you know, create some one big, you know, reasonable suspicion and why you believe they might be involved in illegal activity. What's the number one thing you look for? Uh, are you talking about in the vehicle or when I'm talking to them on Let's road talk about drive? the vehicle first. What what patterns of behavior do you look for? Is it patterns of behavior or appearance of the driver? Patterns of behavior. Uh, like I say, most people, when they drive, they're going to drive relaxed. They might have one here on the steering wheel. Some people drive with their knees. Some people might drive 10 to 2, but they're not locked. If you see someone pass by you that's trying to hide behind a B-pillar and their hands are locked straight ahead and they're looking straight ahead, they want to blink. That's going to be somebody that's going to have, I'm going to have interest in. Also, you see some people, you know, most time when people pass by, they're not drinking anything, anything like that, but they're trying to take a couple of sips of water, whether they're, you know, patting their head, rubbing their face, trying to pacify themselves. That's to keep that nervous energy down. That's going to be another vehicle that's going to make me have interest. Also, you look at the passenger in the vehicle sometimes. If you can see the passenger on the other side, maybe if you could see them when they first came up to you, they weren't asleep, and when they come past you, they're trying to play asleep. Those would be people that we'd be interested in that would try to look at the vehicle a little bit further as they pass by and head on down the road. That's a lot of things to see and look for in a very short period of time with them traveling 55 to 70 miles an hour. Yes, sir. I said it takes a minute to get used to it. I said at one time, if you start trying to follow every car, you'll get sick. You'll just be turning your head left and right, and you'll be almost come seasick. But you had to learn to pick up that one car and focus on it. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes another car is going to pass by and it's just going to get your attention. But for the most part, you got to focus on that one car that you believe is going to be involved in legal activity and follow it. One of the things I noticed in my experience, Eric, is uh, I'll I'll give you an example. I was driving back to the district one day. I was a sergeant, and it was in downtown Baltimore, and I saw a a Jeep Grand Wagoneer, Jeep Cherokee-type vehicle, and it had D.C. tags on it in Baltimore, which is not a big deal. And it didn't have window tint. And when I pulled up next to the vehicle at a red light, it had four young men in there. And when I looked over at them, they purposely, they did this this thing. It's hard to explain to people who aren't police. They did this thing where they tried not to be noticed. They were mm-hmm. acting in an irregular way where it's like, hey, the police is right next to us. Don't let them see you. It's like, you can't see me if I'm not looking at you. Yes, sir. Act cool. Exactly. And that started to raise my suspicion level. Uh, I, I saw a couple of things. They had a Virginia inspection sticker on a windshield, DC plates. They're in Maryland. Didn't start to add up. They they had this behavior that just wasn't right. Uh, we use the term hinky. Something about their behavior was hinky that alerted me to say something's not right. I followed them a little bit. They committed a minor traffic violation, pulled them over. Long story short, there are four young men in there from D.C. They were coming to Baltimore to do some drive-by shootings. They had five handguns, two rifles, soft body armor, and about 300 rounds of ammunition in that vehicle. And all of it stemmed from them not reacting or acting hinky. Of course, there's more to it, but that's what got my attention. Yes, sir. Like It's those little small things that, you know, officer that's, you know, that has the experience will pick up on 
and then they'll know that well, that's just out of order. It might look like order to most people, like when people sit still, they just look straight ahead, they're not talking all that stuff, but to an officer that's been trained, that's going to be a, a clue to us that something's wrong, that something needs to be investigated, because they're trying their best not to be noticed by us. That's just one of the things. We've got so much more to talk about. We are talking with Eric McCants. Eric is a patrol sergeant for the Burke County, Georgia Sheriff's Department. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Remember when news was free? Be sure to check out the Newsbreak app. It's free. And be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk radio show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free. And be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk radio show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. That's the free Newsbreak app. Be sure to look for and follow the Law Enforcement Talk radio show and podcast podcast. Back to our conversation with Eric McCants. Eric is a patrol sergeant for Burke County, Georgia Sheriff's Department, which, by the way, you said uh, Burke County is a mostly rural county, and it's in between Augusta, Georgia, and Savannah, Georgia, right? Yes, sir. I know quite a few people that are in the Augusta area, and they've got some great law enforcement people up there highly dedicated, very skilled, very proficient. And I'm a much older guy than you, Eric. Back in the day, when I was a youngster, there was movies like uh, Making County Line, and there was a, you didn't go to Georgia, and you didn't expect to have good interactions with Georgia law enforcement, and a lot of it was based on what Hollywood presented back in the day, but it's not that way now. These guys, these men and women, are sharp. Yes, I say, uh, one thing about my sheriff, he believes in being professional. He wants believes in customer service. He believes in the Chick-fil-A way when we talk to people, being nice to them until we can't be. That's exactly right. And we were taught early on in policing, treat everybody with respect, especially in their home, until they change the tone of the conversation. Then it's a different story. And as long as they don't put your hands on you or threaten you, it's a different story as well. And when they do, which... By the way, I've watched the news nowadays and the riots and people throwing bags of urine and feces on police. Eric, I got to tell you, it, it makes makes me very, very angry. Mm-hmm. I can't see policing or police that I know, uh, doesn't matter when, tolerating that. And these men and women are tolerating that and not reacting. I, I don't know that I would have that kind of strength. Yeah, some show a lot of resilience. A lot of times, like I've learned, like sometimes... You know, you just be outnumbered, and I've learned that at times you just have to be patient, but certain things you just can't stand for. No, and to, in my book, that would be absolutely one of them. I want to get back to our conversation. We're talking about car stops and drug interdiction. When I say interdiction, that includes a lot of things, not just drugs, but that's what people like me and a lot of people think of. Yes. Uh, like I say, interdiction has many facets. You know, you can get drugs, money guns you can get uh, stolen merchandise that people have a lot of time people are doing these uh, schemes where they are scamming people from gas pumps you can collect all that from a simple trap stop doing interdiction work and so much of policing arrests seizures of of high amounts of narcotics drugs money uh, human victims of, of trafficking come from car stops yes sir so it's a big deal and I, I think a lot of people don't understand it and they Here's, here's one of the chief complaints I get from people. I got stopped by this officer for having a tag light out or whatever it might be. 
And I don't think he was nice enough. He was a jerk. He didn't ask him, but what did he say? What did he do that was out of line? They can't come up with anything specific because I just didn't like his attitude. And mm-hmm. one of the things I try to tell people is, do you expect him to be like friendly all the time? There, we had a, a thing we walked through, and I know you saw this. First thing we do, walking up on a car stop, check the trunk, make sure the trunk is closed so that someone can't pop out and shoot at you. Yes, a lot of people don't realize that's happened in the past. When you're walking up, lean forward with the, the flashlight, especially at night, and look at the people inside the car before you expose yourself. See their body demeanor. See how they're acting. Are they reaching for something? Do they have a gun? All those things, and then very slowly walk yourself up to uh, the, the driver's side of the car. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times, my hand was on my service weapon. Didn't mean I pulled it out. It was there because these things went south very fast. Yes, sir. Uh, one of the things, like I said, I work in Burke County. One of the things that I work on, like I said, I'm approaching vehicle. I come in away. Uh, I stop the vehicle. I have my lights on. I hit my, my top lights, which is going to be my spotlight, and I'm going to hit it on the windows just in case you never know what people's intentions are. So it'd be an element of surprise when I approach a vehicle. Like I said, I do the same thing that you t- talk about. Touch the trunk, make sure no one back there. Shine my light in. Like I, said, I always make a passenger side approach. That's just for me. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I know people on the other side, the driver's side, coming down the road, speed. And some people don't, you know, respect the blue lights, or they might not see it. Or and I see it all the time. Officers on traffic stop or doing something traffic related, and they're hit and sometimes killed. because motor uh, motorists are not paying attention, and they strike the officer. That's why I always believe in the passenger side approach when applicable. Yeah, then, back, like in the say, day, back in the day, it was always driver's side. Now that's that's changed, and I understand why a lot of people do the passenger side approach. Mm-hmm. It makes like perfect it, sense. It, it just cuts down on stuff. So when you get the vehicle stopped, we talked earlier about the things you look for. You got the vehicle stopped, and you said, "All right, this is where you build your your reasonable suspicion and probable cause," and you start talking to the person and asking questions. What are some of the things you ask and look for? Well, like I say, uh, when I approach the vehicle, I'm always going to scan the vehicle. Sometimes you can go in and find probable cause to stand at traffic stop approaching the vehicle. Uh, you can see loose marijuana. You can see pipes. You can see uh, firearms, anything like that. And that's going to just ask more questions once you get up to the driver. But anyway, I talk to the driver. I got action the same thing. I tell everybody, kind of get your driver's license, registration, proof of insurance. And then when they hand it to you, you let their hands stay out a little bit. Like I say, if they're nervous, their hands going to start to shake a little bit. Most people that are, you know, within the lines that are not, you know, breaking any type of laws or anything like that, they're not going to be that nervous. Their hand won't start shaking. Also, I'm looking at their body language. Like, say, are they breathing extremely hard? Are they sweating? Are they trying not to have contact with me? Are they talking too much? Sometimes, you know, people try to talk too much, try to become over-friendly with the officer. That's another thing that I look for. And like I said, if I feel it's going to be that type of stop where I feel like it needs to be investigated a little bit more, I go ahead and ask the driver to step out the vehicle and step to the rear, and then we'll start our conversation back there. So let's just say in some cases you've actually had, you get the vehicle, for whatever reason, the driver strikes you as odd. There's something not quite right. You just ask them to get the vehicle, they come to the back of the car, and then you go to a different level? Well, like I said, most of my travel stops, if, I, if it's not going to be a simple traffic violation, I'm going to ask you to step to the rear anyway. That way I can read your bio language a little bit more. And also it's an officer safety thing. If I can get you out your vehicle, I'm a little bit, you know, less heightened that you might do something. I mean, don't get me wrong, it still could happen, but I can see more likely where your hands are. I can see what's going on. I can see your body language. And a lot of times with an officer, you're going to know if something's going to go down. Most of the time, the person, if they're going to run, they're going to start looking for the path they're going to take to take flight. 
or either they have a firearm to keep putting their hands in their pockets and stuff like that. You look yeah. for that stuff when you come, when you bring them out the vehicle. So that's why I like talking to them to the rear. I know other individuals in different states, they like putting a person in their passenger side vehicle and they talk to people from there. I say, us, not here, where I'm at. I've done it before. I just prefer to see, talk to you outside the vehicle and just build a rapport with them. I said, let them know needs. And like I said, I tell everybody, I'm just out here doing a little traffic enforcement, making sure that everything's all right. I said, you did this, you need to do this to correct it. And I say, in between that time, I'm asking different questions to build reasonable suspicion. And then if I need to ask for a consent to search a vehicle, then we'll go from there. And that's where, uh, I'll be honest with you. I've had cases like this where we stopped the car. I had my suspicions they were doing something that didn't involve, as I said earlier in the conversation, that I didn't like regular traffic stops. I always thought it was a stolen car, and stolen car drivers act a totally different way than regular people driving. Yeah. Uh, but people wanted for homicide or robberies or have drugs or guns. Uh, a lot of them will try, especially since their car or it's a straw purchase car or someone they know is driving a car, they, they try to be cool. And it's like, hey, there's a mindset people think that police are idiots and stupid. And I know that Hollywood loves to per- perpetuate that, but it's not the case. So you wind up talking to the person, and somewhere in the conversation, they get the idea that this is far more than a traffic stop. There's something else going on. How often do people give you consent to search a car knowing the car is dirty? A lot of times, but sometimes people feel that they hide things so good that they won't get caught, or either they feel like the officer just won't be able to find it. It's just most of the times they're going to give you consent, but then, like I said, other times you'll have a canine officer en route and then you go from there. Yeah, I was going to say, most of the time, they just went ahead and said, the gig is up, you got me, here's what I got, and it's in the car. This is Law Enforcement Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. Back to our conversation with Eric McCants. Eric is a patrol sergeant with Burke County Georgia Sheriff's Department, uh, which is between Augusta and Savannah, Georgia. Again, Eric, thank you for your service. Your years of policing, you said your, your specialty, and we all develop specialties. I, I met some some cops who were phenomenal DWI, others that were great at property crimes, others were great with checks and check fraud and all those other things, flim flam. Some that are really good narcotics, guns, and drug interdiction, just to name a few of the areas. Your specialty is drug interdiction and or, or traffic interdiction, for lack of better words. Yes, sir. In your career, yeah. what are some of the biggest cases you've made um, off vehicle stops? Well, some of the biggest cases uh, I made, I say I made one case uh, not too long ago when I stopped two individuals that went past me and they were just having that type of reaction to my presence, and they had. 10 pounds of marijuana in the trunk. Uh, when I, you know, initially approached the vehicle, you could smell the air fresheners in the vehicle. You just knew something was up. Uh, the stories weren't matching up. I separated the passenger and the driver, and I started asking them the same questions, but their stories didn't line. Uh, I asked for consent to search the vehicle, and at that time, the driver said no. So I told him I was going to have a canine route. Well, just so happened that my canine officers were working, so I had to call an officer from the next county over to make his way up to me. Well, I only had enough, you know, probable cause. To wait for him to come. So he comes, runs the dog around the vehicle, vehicle, the 
dog alerts. Anyway, I searched the car. I could find air pressures in McDonald's bags, hanging up in a ceiling. They were just everywhere. So when I get to the trunk, and at that time, I just happened to look back at the people that uh, were driving the vehicle in the passenger, and you could tell they had dropped their head. I knew something was up. Open the trunk, and you could just see two large trash bags full of marijuana. Also, I had another stop just helping somebody. A guy was walking down the road, and I was patrolling, and he was shining his light, walking to a gas station. So I stopped talking to him, like, hey, man, you need some help? He's like, well, yeah, I need some gas. So I get him, take him to get gas, and at the time, I could smell marijuana coming off his person. So I get him back to this vehicle, and I told him, hey, well, this is about to be a traffic stop, and this is the reason why. I smell marijuana coming from your person. Is there any marijuana in the vehicle? Well, he tells me, like, yeah, it's just a little bit of marijuana. Well, in a searching vehicle, in the back seat, in the book bag, he had over eight ounces of uh, methamphetamine, and they also had counterfeit bills on. And those just a couple of instances of where I found drugs. Just sitting out there, basically patrolling, and little things that I found that didn't seem right led to something bigger. And that's called doing your job. Uh, look, yes. by the way, I think that's that's huge when when cops do that. I'm not one of these people that says just doing my job is right place, right time. I think we need to stop doing that. We need to start saying, yeah, that was heroic stuff. I work with a lot of heroes, and I did. And, and we need to celebrate our law enforcement. They do great things because that's called doing your job. And when you see something that's based off your training, your experience, and you get the gut reaction, the, the little hairs on the back of your neck start to stand up, something's wrong, and you follow through and you do your job, I think you need to be applauded for that. That's one thing that my sheriff department does. Like I say, if you do anything that's rewarding enough, like I say, they'll reward you for doing good work. We're helping people, you know, for stopping major crimes. That's one thing that my sheriff is real big on. It's big on letting employees know that he appreciates the work that they're doing out there. Because here's what happens. I don't know about you. Um, things happen so fast. When I was involved in shootings and things of that nature, they popped up very quickly, unexpectedly, and I, I didn't have a chance to really react adrenaline-wise or fear-wise until it was over with. The difference is, like, going to drug raids and things of that nature, like you were in SWAT, knowing what you're, you could be facing, the adrenaline starts going. I do a little prayers. Sometimes on these car stops, when you suspect that, hey, they got guns, they got drugs, and it's probably a stolen vehicle... It's kind of hard not to have that physical reaction. So when you decide to go ahead and follow through with it, that's an act of bravery. Yes. I'm glad you agree. Having that courage to keep going. Yeah, it it takes a lot of courage. And a lot of officers have been severely injured or killed doing that. And you and I both know that. Now, the mom and pop driving down the road to get stopped doesn't realize that. And they may expect you to be super friendly, super nice. Well, it takes a while. I always say that depends on how you are. Yes. I say more likely you're the driver or the person that's in the vehicle's behavior or attitude is going to drive how it's going to happen. Most of the time we're going to try to talk you down and calm you down. But some people you just can't talk and calm down. Some people, like I've had instances where you know people, they're like, well, I know I'm going back to prison. They're going to try to do whatever they can not to go back. And like I said, also you got to be prepared for that. And like I say, why are you going to try to keep them calm and all that? If they take it to that level, you got to take it to that level with them. And when you say take it to that level, that's a nice way of saying be prepared to fight for your life. Yes, sir. Because that's really what it is. And look, there's there's no polite way of saying this. When police have to use force, especially when you work for a sheriff's department in a rural area and you're by yourself and backup is a long ways away and you realize you've got this cat here who says, I'm not going back to prison and he's armed and he'll do whatever it takes to to not go back to prison, you better be ready. 
you better be ready to come up from your psyche for this. I'm not talking about physical strength. I'm not talking about being a bad, you know, John Wayne or Chuck Norris kind of guy. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the mindset of what it's required to survive. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know how to describe it, Eric. When my mindset did get triggered that way, it kind of shocked me. Yeah, sometimes you like to say, once you get into that mode, you got to be there. And like I said, you got to understand the next level of what you're going to do. You got to know that you're going to have to fight this one out or you're going to have to retreat and wait for your backup. You got to go ahead and start playing those things. And the thing about it is, it's not like it's happening over five, 10 minutes. This is happening less than 15, 20 seconds, but you got to get your mind right and start making plans on what's going to happen. And like I said, that's a lot of process in a short amount of time. Have you had that happen where you're on the side of the road, it's just you and that guy who's not going back to prison? Yeah, well, like I said, it wasn't a guy not going back to prison, but there's been plenty of instances where, like I say, I've been on traffic stops. A guy has a certain amount of drugs, has a gun in the vehicle, which I didn't know at the time. I had already got consent to search the vehicle because he denied it, but the canine walked around the vehicle and alerted. And just so happened when I was about to go and search the vehicle, the driver of the vehicle takes off, jumps in the driver's side of the vehicle and attempts to take off while I'm in it. So I, being the person I was, wasn't even thinking about it, I ran to the driver's side and the window was down, stuck my head in the window and just grabbed the key, and then it was, the fight was on. And eventually, my other partner who was there was able to, you know, draw his taser out on him. He was able to talk him down. But at that time, he could have took off with me in that vehicle, and it could have ended badly for me or him. But it was just so happened that my partner was able to open the door, show his taser, talk to the guy, let him know that, hey, this is not going to go the way you wanted to go. Come on out the vehicle. And eventually, he got out on the passenger side, and then we found the drugs and the money and the guns that was in the vehicle. And even when there are drugs and guns and money and all that other stuff and similar priors, they may think at the time that this is the end and I got to fight for my life and they're prepared to do whatever it takes. A lot of them, when they get to court, they get a slap on their hands or they get three months and then double secret probation, we called it, and they're back on the streets. Yes. Uh, like I said, the uh, criminal justice system, like I say, is really clogged up. There's a lot of people in court. I say one thing that kind of bothers the officers, we see a whole bunch of repeat offenders. We deal with the same people, people that we might have fought with before. And then when they get to court, at certain times they get slapped on the hand, and then you just keep seeing the same process. But I I understand that there's so much going on with the court system as people going in, coming out of it, uh, you know, doing plea deals and all that different stuff. So I understand it to a extent, but then to another point, it's a slap in the face to the officer. Like, you'll build this big case, and then all they get is probation for it. And then, you know, it kind of feels like slapping the face, but at the end of the day, that's not what we do it for. We go ahead and make that arrest, get him off the street from that time, and if I got to arrest you again, we'll just do the same party again. That's exactly right. First of all, your sheriff's department. Where can people get more information about them? We have a website, Burke County Sheriff's Office, GA. I think it's .gov. You can always look us up. I said, we are currently hiring. I said, we might want to come apply. I said, we work for one of the best sheriffs in Georgia, and I mean that. Also, we have a Facebook website, and we uh, post a lot of information up there about current events that's going on, community service stuff, and just general things involving law enforcement. And like I say, it's also the Burke County Sheriff's Office in Georgia. This is one, I believe, is in North Carolina that people get confused with. And where can people get more information about you and what you do? Uh, they can always look me up on LinkedIn. Like I say, I, I'm really big on LinkedIn. They can always reach out to me on there. I'm willing to talk to anybody about law enforcement or anything else about law enforcement. Like I say, just reach me out through there, direct message or whatever, and then I can get back with you. And you do some training as well? Yes, sir. Uh, I've said I've done a lot of training classes for addiction, but it's quite a few of them that's become good. Uh, Dennis Benino, that's the owner of Street Cop Training, uh, he really elevated my career big time. Like I said, I met him about three years ago. We started talking. He started looking at my traffic stops, 
not critiquing me, but giving me uh, constructive criticism about what I should do, how I do it. And just for him alone, last year I was able to get special op deputy of the year because of the cases I made from talking to him. Uh, also, Sean Pardes, he has a company called Triple I Solutions, which is another good company for interdiction work. Very smart individual. Then uh, there's a snow. And then people in my area like Ty Dent, who's work on I-20, he works for my sheriff department now. He's always talking to me and Patrick Barquette. Just a whole bunch of individuals that does training for interdiction work. And like I said, they can always help take that career to the next level. Like I said, they have wonderful experience. They have many big cases. And they're helping a lot of officers understand how big interdiction can be and how rewarding it is. Eric, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on. One of the questions I get all the time is how can I show my support for law enforcement? We're all busy. We've got busy lives, but there's something oh so simple you can do with our Facebook page. Search for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. And when you see a post you agree with that resonates with you, share it, especially episodes of the podcast. To do all that, just search for us on Facebook, look for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, and be sure to click like. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.